0: Hello and welcome to episode 232 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It's my pleasure to be with you today. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Wednesday, July the 6th, 2022, continuing to look at devotion to the precious blood in this month of July, the month dedicated to to Promoting the Devotion to the Precious Blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This book was authored by Father M.F. Walls and initially published in 1925. We are discussing at this point the relationship between the devotion to the most precious blood and other devotions. Specifically at this point, the devotion to the five wounds. Father Walls states, The five wounds which the risen Lord retained are conclusive evidence that the body which he showed to his apostles after the resurrection was the same body in which he bore the ignominy and tortures of his passion. Put in thy finger hither and see my hands, and bring hither thy hand and put it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. These wounds, which previously were the marks of suffering and the sure indication of death have now become the visible signs of victory. On the day of judgment, these wounds will be a source of joy to the elect, but a terrible reminder to the lost. They shall look on him who they pierced. A deluge of mercy poured forth from these reservoirs of salvation on Calvary. Thousands of chalices are now being filled daily on our altars, with the same precious blood that flowed from these wounds. A wound was received, and a remedy was given us in return, Saint Ambrose says so beautifully. Behold, I have graven thee in my hands. Isaiah forty nine, sixteen. Ah, yes, dearest Jesus, I see the handwriting in the flaming ink of thy precious blood. These seals of thy love and mercy shall remain in a blaze of glory for all eternity. In these wounds I fain would die, where millions have hidden for 19 centuries. Thou thyself didst love to hide from the world. O Jesus, I fear my evil inclinations. I fear the wicked world. I fear the temptations of the devil. Within thy wounds hide me and permit me never to be separated from thee. I'm going to interject at this point. It is no small thing to be able to receive our Lord in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. That blood, that most precious blood that he shed for us on Calvary, he was mocked and scourged and beaten and ultimately crucified. Our Lord did that for me and he did that for you. To be able to receive him, physically at the holy sacrifice of the mass is a gift, is a blessing which surpasses all understanding. We can't even verbalize properly how great, how magnificent his gift is to us when he gives us literally himself. There's no higher form of worship a human being can engage in. There's no greater gift anyone can ever receive. So we have to make sure that we are properly disposed to receiving him. That means if we've sinned gravely, that's why examination of conscience is so important. I know Father Robert Altier, spelled A-L-T-I-E-R, had an examination of conscience that was published online roughly 20 years ago. That's a very good one. There are others, of course, but if you're conscious of grave sin, you know, things such as uh, viewing evil images on the computer, self-abuse, um, intoxication, drug use, fornication, adultery, those are grave sins. Missing mass on Sunday or a holy day without a valid excuse. These things are gravely sinful, potentially mortally sinful. We have to recall that there are three things necessary for a sin to be mortal. It has to be grave matter, such as the things I just mentioned. You have to know it's grave matter, and there has to be full consent of the will. Ultimately, whether or not there's full consent of the will is known only to our Lord. But if you're conscious of those things, mortal sins, make an appointment immediately to see a priest and go to confession. And then you're back in the Lord's good graces, literally. Okay? You're literally back in his good graces. So you can receive him in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. This goes to the issue of Nancy Pelosi, who recently was at the Vatican and received our Lord in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Bishop Schneider was on the Terry and Jesse show, Jesse Romero and Terry Barber the other day. And he said that she's literally eating her own judgment because this woman who has been a champion of baby murder for decades came up in the presence of Pope Francis and everyone else at the Vatican and received our Lord unworthily. And his body, blood, soul, and divinity. She is an unapologetic champion for baby murder. Do we hate this woman? Of course not. We love this woman. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. We can't hate anybody. We want everyone to convert. But this individual who claims to be a Catholic, but then takes stances that are diametrically opposed to what the Catholic Church teaches and also simply common decency, that it's gravely evil to murder a baby in his mother's womb. And then she presents herself for Holy Communion. Well, Bishop Schneider said she is literally eating her own judgment. Pray for her conversion and pray that the Pope and bishops and priests in the church will deny these politicians Holy Communion and tell them that they need to go to confession because you can't support such wicked things and expect to have a positive experience at the end of your life when you're standing before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's going to judge you immediately. How do you think it's going to work when you have to give an account for the fact that you were in support of murdering babies. I don't know how anyone can support that, but people do by the millions, by the hundreds of millions. It's not going to end well for that person at the end of their life unless they repent and believe in the gospel. So be it Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, the fake president of the United States. Justin Trudeau, Justin Castro, Trudeau, and all these other politicians who claim to be good Catholics and they are supporting something that is absolutely wicked. Actually, I don't know about Justin Trudeau if he claims to be, if he's Catholic or not, but be that as it may, if he's not, He should become Catholic. Everyone should become Catholic. But you need to repent and believe in the gospel. You can't go on in this degenerate form of living, supporting things that are incredibly wicked and then receive our Lord in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. You have to go to confession first and you have to change your ways. With God, all things are possible. I've seen it. My own life and the life of others. Jesus is always waiting. He's always listening to our prayers. He always wants us to come to him. He's ready to forgive us, always. But remember the woman who was caught in adultery and men were getting ready to stone her to death. Our Lord says, let he among you who is without sin cast the first stone. They'll drop the stones and walk away. Does he tell the woman, okay, go on, continue committing adultery, continue committing sins? No, he says, go and sin no more. He forgives her. But his parting words are, go and sin no more. It's a beautiful account from sacred scripture and a beautiful example of how we should live our lives. Forgive others, forgive ourselves when we sin. Go to confession to receive the forgiveness from our Lord Jesus Christ, but then go and sin no more. Change our ways. Jesus loves us so much that he wants us to amend our wicked ways. He doesn't want to leave us as we are. In the church nowadays, there's this thought that, well... We'll just kind of hold each other arm in arm, call each other brother and sister and sing Kumbaya and everything is wonderful. We'll just accept every behavior. No, never tolerant of sin. We're tolerant of sinners because we're all sinners, especially the man speaking into this microphone right now. But we should never, ever be tolerant of sin because Jesus hates sin. He died for sin. He shows us on his crucifix what he thinks of sin. Let's continue now in the text. In Father Walls' section on devotion to the mother of God. The precious blood of Jesus, says St. Bonaventure, derives its origin from his most holy mother. Jesus and Mary have prepared for my soul the sweetest and most refreshing potion, St. Saint Athanasius, Saint Athanasius writes in a similar strain Jesus was nourished at the breast of his mother, that from his own side might flow the blood of the divine testament, the drink of salvation. With five shekels according to the law, Mary redeemed in the temple him who afterwards redeemed the world with his five wounds. O good Jesus, exclaimed St. Thomas of Villanova, thou belongest to us by a twofold right. Thou wast given to us by the Father, And purchased for us by the Mother. But it was beneath the cross that our Blessed Mother made the offering of her Son in the most heroic manner. Mary is the rightful dispenser of the precious blood, as she was constituted the universal heir of the blood of Jesus on Calvary. The precious blood flows, as it were, from the heart of Mary to the heart of Jesus through all the 15 mysteries of the Rosary. As we meditate on the life of Christ, each Ave is imbued with the blood of the redemption that circulated in his sacred body from the time of the Annunciation until his glorious ascension. In the joyful mysteries, we adore the precious blood in the tabernacle of Mary's sacred body, then flowing in the veins of Jesus lying in the manger, and later vivifying his body and mind, teaching in the temple. In the sorrowful mysteries, we contemplate and adore the blood of Jesus as it flowed during the agony in the garden, in the praetorium, in the streets of Jerusalem, and on Golgotha's height. In the glorious mysteries, we worship the same precious blood in the glorified body of our Savior, in heaven and upon our altars. The first visible token that God gave our first parents as a sign of reconciliation and the assurance of his protection was a garment. Rebecca obtained the blessing that belonged to the firstborn of her favorite son Jacob by means of a garment, The same Jacob gave his favorite son, Joseph, a coat of many colors, because he loved him more than the others. And now, my dearest Mary, I beseech thee with confidence, obtain for me, with the merits of thy son, Jesus, the grace to reign my eternal birthright in heaven, the grace to regain my eternal birthright in heaven. Clothe me every evening, sweet lady of Mount Carmel, but especially on the eve of my life with the dyed garments of the precious blood." And the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel is coming up on July 16th, I believe. We have to remember, as we conclude that section from Devotion to the Precious Blood, that the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Mother, and the Most Chaste Heart of St. Joseph all beat as one as it were. Those three hearts are in unison. And we think of that beautiful example of the Holy Family, even though St. Joseph was outranked in holiness, you might say, living with the Mother of God and the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, they were perfectly obedient to him. He was the most loving of fathers and husbands, and they obeyed him, even though, of course, Jesus and the Blessed Mother Um, are without sin. Jesus is the perfect God-man, and the Blessed Mother is the Immaculate Conception, but they obeyed St. Joseph. Let's deepen also our relationship with St. Joseph. Let's ask him for his intercession, because as it says, in the book of St. James, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. St. Joseph is the righteous man, par excellence. Now let's take a look at Plinio Correa de Oliveira, Prophet of the Reign of Mary by Roberto Di Mattei. This is from the chapter entitled Toward the Reign of Mary, and the subheading is Reign of Christ and Reign of the Antichrist. As I've mentioned before on the Our Lady of Fatima podcast, I'd like to talk more about the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Mother. August is the month dedicated to the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Mother. Um, And of course, during August, we'll be talking much more about her under that title. But I believe this is the early stages. We're living in the early stages of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. It may not seem like that, but I believe it will be made manifest in the coming weeks and months. And... Professor Plinio wrote at length about the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, and that's what this book is discussing. A certain point of the Catholic faith is that the history of the human race will end with a universal tyranny of evil known as the reign of the Antichrist. The scriptures prophesy a general apostasy and the manifestation of the man of sin, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, who opposes and is lifted up above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits in the temple of God, showing himself as if he were God, Second Thessalonians 2, 3-12. The Antichrist, Monsignor Antonio Romeo says, is the arch enemy of Christ, who at the end of time will seduce many Christians with satanic wonders and tricks before he is annihilated by Christ in his second coming. The prophetic picture of the struggle between Christ and the Antichrist is contained in chapter 12 of the Apocalypse and is part of Revelation, which was entrusted to the church. Christian eschatologists wonder whether the church will know an age of decadence or progress before the era of the Antichrist. Cornelius Alapide, who can be considered the greatest scholar among the interpreters of the Holy Scriptures and who collects all the exegetical tradition prior to the 17th century, believes that the end of time will not come before Christendom is not only propagated worldwide, but also publicly organized to encompass the whole earth and fulfill the prophecy that there will be only one church and one shepherd. The kingdom of Christ on earth will be preceded by that of the Antichrist, a theology of history very different from millenarianism, developed above all in the 19th century from ultramontane and counterrevolutionary thought, namely, that of the social kingship of Christ. It posits that Jesus Christ, king of history, will triumph over his enemies before the end of the world and his second coming in the Perusia. The doctrine of the social kingship of Christ emerged and developed in the wake of devotion to the Sacred Heart. This devotion appeared in the Middle Ages with veneration of the wound made by the lance and found in St. John Eudes, its first great propagator. After the revelations of parle le the Jesuits became its tireless promoters. In 1673, Jesus asked St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, a visitation sister at parle le to spread the devotion to his sacred heart throughout the church and indicated to her the Jesuit Claude de la Colombière as a contributor to that work. In an era of decadence and spiritual coldness such as the second half of the 17th century, the purpose of that devotion was to ignite the love of Jesus in souls, corresponding to the infinite love he has for us. Behold the heart that so loved men, Jesus said to St. Margaret Mary, later promising, my heart shall expand itself to shed in abundance the influence of its divine love upon those who honor me. Thus was born, inspired by the saint, the feast of the sacred heart, giving rise to the pious practice of the nine first Fridays of the month. Of great importance among the heavenly messages received by St. Margaret Mary is one she conveyed on June 17, 1689, to Mother marie Francois de Sommets in Dijon, with instructions to send it on to the King of France, Louis XIV. In it, the Sacred Heart asked the Sovereign to reign in his palace, be painted on his standards, and engraved in his arms, to make them victorious over all his enemies, casting down at his feet those proud heads to make him triumphant over all the enemies of Holy Church. The message went unheeded, and 150 years later, the French Revolution broke out. In 1792, when Louis XVI lost his throne and was imprisoned in the temple, he placed in the hands of Judas' father Hebert, his confessor, a vow to place his kingdom under the protection of the Sacred Heart if he were freed. Actually, I think that should have said 100 years later, the French Revolution broke out. That was a typographical error. That vow, which circulated clandestinely, had a profound repercussion in Catholic ambiances at the time. The Sacred Heart, embroidered next to the bourbon fleur-de-lis, was the symbol of the Catholic and royal army of the Vendee, whose insurrection could hardly be understood without going to the roots of this popular piety, which caused all peasants to have, out of devotion and without anyone having ordered them, a sacred heart embroidered on their attire, and a rosary through the buttonhole of their lapel. Between the 19th and 20th centuries, the devotion to the sacred heart developed in the church thanks to the impulse of souls like Blessed Mary of the Divine Heart. The popes approved and disseminated it, especially Leo XIII with the encyclical Anum Sacrum of May 25, 1889, Pope Pius XI with his encyclical Miserantissimus of May 8, 1928, and Pius twelfth with Horiatus Aquas of May fifteenth, 1956. Tomorrow we will get into the reign of Christ according to Father Henri Ramier, but let's be more devoted to the sacred heart, to the immaculate heart, to the most chaste heart, three hearts beating as one, and always have hope, my friends no matter what the world says, no matter what the corporate media tries to scare you with, with alleged viruses and wars and shootings and things of this nature. They're just trying to scare you. They're just trying to drive up ratings. Jesus is in charge. Put all your trust in his sacred heart through the intercession of the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Mother and the Most Chaste Heart of St. Joseph. All will be well. Prayer for the Hastening of the Triumph of the Immaculate Heart O Immaculate Heart of Mary, Holy Mother of God and our Tender Mother, look upon the distress in which the whole of mankind is living due to the spread of materialism, godlessness, and the persecution of the Catholic faith. In our own day, the mystical body of Christ is bleeding from so many wounds caused within the church by the unpunished spread of heresies, the justification of sins against the sixth commandment, the seeking of the kingdom of earth rather than that of heaven, the horrendous sacrileges against the most holy Eucharist, especially through the practice of communion in the hand and the Protestant shaping of the celebration of the holy mass. Amidst these trials appeared the light of the consecration of Russia to thine immaculate heart by the Pope in union with the world's bishops. In Fatima, thou didst request the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays of the month. Implore thy divine son to grant a special grace to the Pope that he might approve the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. May Almighty God hasten the time when Russia will convert to Catholic unity, mankind will be given a time of peace, and the church will be granted an authentic renewal in the purity of the Catholic faith, the sacredness of divine worship, and the holiness of Christian life. O Mediatrix of all graces, O Queen of the Most Holy Rosary and our Sweet Mother, turn thine eyes of mercy towards us and graciously hear this, our trusting prayer. Amen. That prayer, of course, by the wonderful Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Now the prayer of St. Francis de Sales. Glorious St. Joseph, spouse of the Virgin Mary, we beseech you through the heart of Jesus Christ, Grant to us your fatherly protection. O you whose power reaches all our necessities and who knows how to make possible the most impossible things, open your fatherly eyes to the needs of your children. In the confusion and pain which press upon us, we have recourse to you with confidence. Deign to take beneath your charitable guidance this important and difficult affair, the cause of our worries, and make that its happy outcome serve for the glory of God and the good of his devoted servants. Amen. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I adore thee profoundly and I offer thee the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifference with which he himself is offended, and through the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I beg of thee the conversion of poor sinners. Virgo potens ora pernobis sancti Yosef, terra daimonem ora pernobis, in nomina patris et fili et spiritus sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to episode 232 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. In your charity, please share Our Lady's podcast with everyone you know. Follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Fatima Podcast. And most especially, please pray for the eternal salvation of Pope Francis. Goodbye, and God love you.